Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. And I am so blessed today to have a new good friend that we've actually got to see each other in person. In, in person. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you so much, Emily. I'm super excited to be here. This is going to be a fun conversation. Um, so for the listeners that may not know who you are, let's just give a, a brief of who's Garland. Sure. So uh, Garland loves long walks on the beach. <laughs> no, so uh, so I am a, I'm a husband of one, a father of three. I am uh, a coach and consultant and author, uh, owner of my own business called Advanced uh, Leadership. Uh, and more than anything, I think I'm uh, a person who just loves people and uh, is really cheering for people to live out their biggest dreams and their highest priorities. And I think that's so true. Like even getting to see you last weekend and hearing your talk, that's the one thing I told you before the show is that that's what I love about you is like your mission and, and you're following it out because too many people have missions, but they keep it in the closet or they keep it back. They don't ever talk about it. They keep it at home or in their brain. And, yeah. and thank you for walking it out and writing a book. And I think that's what we'll really dive into in a bit. Um, but before we get there, the show is called Unapologetically Bold. So Garland, what are you no longer apologizing for? So I am not sorry for killing busyness. Mm. Tell me more. Okay. So it was in 2013 that I went to my doctor and I started having, uh, was just telling him about all of these physical problems that I was having of chronic migraine headaches and exhaustion and heart palpitations and forgetfulness and, and all of these problems that I was having. And I was in good health and, and I just didn't understand it. And so I went to my doctor and was like, you got to tell me what's going on. And the doctor said, well, tell me about your life. And I said, well, it's a good life. It's just really busy, which is what everybody says, right? When you ask them how they're doing, you say, oh, I'm good. I'm just really busy. But I said, it's a good life. It's just really busy. He said, tell me what busyness means. And I got to tell you, I was pretty excited when people would ask me that question. I've always been a type A personality. And so anytime you get to kind of brag about how hard of a worker you are, it's like, yeah, that's awesome. And so I told him about the 50 to 60 hour work weeks and the 10 to 20 hours a week working on my doctorate and the uh, raising three young kids with my wife and um, involved with our church for uh, to develop a leadership program and traveling 60 days a year and just all the things that I was doing. And at the time, by the time I was done, my doctor said, Garland, I am concerned for your life because you're so busy that it's going to kill you. And if you don't kill busyness, it's going to kill you. And so I am not sorry for killing busyness, this same busyness that so many people brag about all the time. And I love that because I think it's so important, too, because 
that is like a common word. It's like, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm be like, it's like in our vernacular, like it's a cool thing to say. And I oh, yeah. one, one of my favorite quotes says, um, is from this book called the five choices right behind me. And it says, um, busyness is the existential claim of the 21st century. I am stressed out. Therefore I am. <laughs> that is a fact. But, it, and that's the part that it, I don't, it kills me to see other people because in performance management and just human performance, we have to have rest. Like I'm a person of faith. So my thing I tell myself, I have to tell myself, and I didn't start telling myself until my thirties was like, God needed a day. I need a day. I'm not better yeah. than him. Um, <laughs> but even like in the physiology, like your muscles need recovery. Like you don't work out the same muscle group, like yeah. the day after day, after day, after day, you add recovery to it. So I think that's something that's very interesting in, in all of this, and and I actually had somebody last night write on LinkedIn about how she's just tired and overwhelmed. And she's like, how do you do it all? Hmm. And I think for me, it's like, I don't have to do it all. Right. <laughs> so I'd, I'd love to hear more about you. What did you learn? Because you wrote a book about this as well. I wrote a book about it, yeah. So, yeah, so and you've I, done three years of research on it too. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up doing all of my doctoral research on busyness, what it does to leaders, what it does to organizations. And then that was a really boring paper, right? 300 pages of, of boringness. And so I took all of that research and then condensed it into a, uh, I'll hold it up here, a much more user reader friendly version of, of it. I yeah. love it. And so tell me some of the principles or what are some of the key findings that you found about helping people to kill busyness and to actually get unbusy? Yeah. So I think the, the, I think the most important thing is that there are five steps that a person has to go through. And the first of those is they have to decide to get unbusy. And what that means is first they have to decide that busyness isn't worth it. Uh, it's not worth it because of the toll it's taking on you physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, uh, it, the toll it takes on your productivity, on entire organizations. So they have to decide to get unbusy. And then the second step is they need to begin deconstructing. And this was one of the biggest mistakes I saw people making is they would they would decide that they were tired of being busy. And then they would immediately say, okay, I'm going to write out my life goals. I'm going to discover my life purpose. I'm going to, you know, make all these big plans. And as soon as they did that, they added more commitments to their already overcommitted life. And so that second step is really critical of deconstructing some of the commitments that are in your life and, and the mindset and some habits that we get into uh, that keep us stuck. And then the, the final three steps are you you design the life that you want to live, uh, the pace and the space you want to live, you design how you want to live, you develop that, uh, the, the uh, develop a, an unbusy mind, unbusy calendar, unbusy habits. And then finally, you begin to draw others in, you draw in your family, your team, your coworkers, your friends, all of those people get drawn in as well. There's two things that I hear from that one to deconstruct. Um, what I've seen a lot with people creating habits and where it going wrong, like you said, is that, and ironically, they're getting busy to get unbusy. Right, um, right. Which is very it, which, which never works, never works. <laughs> um, but the thing that I've seen is that people don't look at why they're doing things. Yeah. Like that deeper, and that's what I step back instead of, and it, it's that thing that I've seen with a lot of habits, like they'll replace it. 
yeah. replace one habit with another habit. But what's yeah. what's the root cause? Why yeah, do so, you feel? Yeah. So so what in the research what we discovered is that there are three. Uh, main, uh, what I call inhibiting beliefs that keep people trapped in busyness. And it's, I need to be more, I need to do more, and I need to get more. So so probably the easiest way to illustrate this was, was to tell you how I, I still feel this sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think a lot of us do. But um, for me, one of the areas that really draws it out is when I go into a bookstore. So I love books. I love reading. And anytime I go into a bookstore, I normally go into the leadership section or the self-help section. Uh, those are the two areas areas I'm drawn to. And, and I start looking at these books and it's, you know, how to be a better leader, how to get a six pack of abs, mm -hmm. how to, um, how to be a better parent, right? It's all of these things. And as soon as I see those things, I start telling myself, I'm not enough. I need to be more. Something is wrong with me. And it becomes this internal shame based type of narrative that I tell myself something is wrong with me because I need to be better at all of these things. And as soon as we think that of I need to be more, then the next question is or the next inhibiting belief pops up almost immediately. I need to do more. Right. So mm -hmm. I need to read this book. I need to do more crunches. I need to spend more time with my kids. I, I need I need I need to do all of these things. And then as that starts coming in, then we get this third inhibiting belief, which is I need to get more. And by mm -hmm. get more, that can be uh, like an economic get more of, oh, if only I had more money, if only I had more more time to read books, if only, you know, I need to get these these things. But there's also uh, what I call an experiential get more. And that says, I need to get more vacations. I need to get more uh, time away. I need to fill my life with more meaningful experiences. And all of those meaningful experiences end up taking up significant amounts of time and energy and attention. So they add more commitments into our life. So those three inhibiting beliefs are the three big ones. I need to be more, get more, do more. And what comes to my mind, and I don't know if you touched on this in the research or not, but the generational effects. Yeah, uh, I didn't touch on that, but please say something about that. I would love to, I just just thinking, not not actually going into the science, but my thought pattern too is I had my father, and well, his father was, you got to work your butt off. And the next mm -hmm. one is you got to work harder. Like you got to continue to work because you don't want to have less. And then the generations as they flow, and mine is you want to work smarter, not harder. And it's all these different things that I think that, but we want to be more, you know, right. um, and it's so interesting with all that, that I love your, your thoughts on it. Like, how do you think that has also framed up our culture to be this busy? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. One of the things that did stand out in the research was, um, that, uh, it, the teenagers, so in 2008, there was a, a survey done by Psychology Today that found that teenagers today are experiencing the same level of stress and anxiety as someone who would have been institutionalized for it in the 1950s. And the number one reason that they were experiencing stress and anxiety in their lives was because they felt like they had too much to do. There were too many pressures in their life. And I think that's absolutely generational. They learned it from their parents. I mean, I learned I learned workaholism from my dad who learned it from his dad who learned mm -hmm. it probably from his dad. Right. And, and we just passed it down. And what psychology today found is in they did that research in 2008. They came back several years later and they were like, it's only getting worse. 
uh, for teenagers. There's just more pressure than than ever before. So yeah, I think we've absolutely done this to ourselves as a culture where we have glorified um, uh, workaholism, the whole the hustle culture. This we've kind of glorified this this mentality of people who are really successful are the people who sleep less, they work 70, 80 hours a week, they they grind, you know, we have all these words for it. And we we praise those people rather than going, wait a second, maybe that's not the best model. <laughs> yeah. And it's so true because I, I can see, I know myself and it's a lot of self-awareness that has gotten me to where I'm at. But if I'm draining and I try to push through something and nothing's there, I'm not going to force it because I won't be able to give my best. And I'm just shutting myself. Then I get more frustrated at myself. And then we know what the science does with cortisol um, and the shame that comes into it. I can totally see how all that flows in. So I guess that's the next part that I want to talk about is I know that you talk about neuroscience and you know, I'm a nerd on that one. Um, So (laughs) what was some of like the coolest things that you came out from the research and I guess driving home points of like the importance of like, y'all, this ain't nothing we need to play with, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, what, so what really stood out to me, so my doctor says to me, I'm, you know, I'm concerned for your life, Garland, because if you don't kill busyness, it's going to kill you. And I was like, yeah, that's a little hyperbolic there, you know, like, you know, what's really going on. So as I started studying it, here's what I discovered is that it literally is killing us and it's killing us in so many different ways. But the one of the first ones that stood out to me was the physical effects of busyness. Uh, so I'll nerd out with you for uh, for a second here. But um, so our bodies are designed to respond to stress. Anytime we experience stress, our sympathetic nervous system kicks in and it releases adrenaline and cortisol. Adrenaline's that fight or flight. Cortisol kind of shortens our ability to think long term. So we can only think in terms of what's directly in front of us. And it um, reroutes a lot of the energy in our bodies to the, the necessary systems, right? I'm, I, I don't need my digestive system all the time if I'm you know, in a stressful situation where I'm mm-hmm. like running from a bear or something. But all that gives us the energy to deal with the situation. And then our parasympathetic nervous system is supposed to kick in and it washes those chemicals from our body. It helps us relax, cool down. It kind of like almost uh, there's this feeling of exhaustion that happens afterwards so that we can recover that lost energy. Well, so here's what I came to realize is one, stress researchers say that our bodies can't tell the difference between good stress and bad stress. So like, you know, bad stress, running into a bear in the woods, good stress, delivering a a presentation on something that you're passionate about. Our bodies don't know the difference from that. And busyness introduces all kinds of good stress into our lives, which releases adrenaline, releases cortisol. But because we're so busy, we don't have time to recover from that stress. We go right into the next commitment, the next obligation. And when we do that, our bodies go into overdrive with adrenaline and cortisol. And there are multiple diseases. I'm talking over 25 different diseases and conditions that are all affiliated with that saturation of adrenaline and cortisol. And and so it literally is killing us. Like the busier you are, and, and one of the easiest ways to tell this, uh, this was fascinating to me, is researchers have found something called leisure sickness. And leisure sickness is what happens when you take a couple of days off or you go on vacation and you slow down for the first time. 
And it gives your immune system time to catch up. And mm -hmm. typically what happens is people end up getting sick for the first day or two of their vacations or their time off because their this leisure sickness is, is kicking in. That's because you're too busy. You have so much stress in your life that you don't have time to recuperate from it. That is so cool. And it makes me think too, and I would, I'd love to talk to you about this, is that a lot of people talk about time management is an issue. For me, what I talk about is energy management because wow. I've seen people have time to do things so they have a t they have time to watch three hours of Netflix, but the energy that it takes is not much. Yeah. And so literally people want to do things, but they don't have the energy to be able to. And what has and I guess you kind of talked about it then about how cortisol affects it with the energy. Um, but what are some of the things that you've seen about the energy uploads and just energy of people in general whenever they, yeah. they feel like they have it? But it's I call it false energy. You're just right. Yeah. So we fill our lives with <clears throat> adrenaline or coffee, caffeine, anything along those lines. And yeah, I, I love that term false energy. I'm totally going to steal that, <laughs> give you credit for it the first three times, and then I'm going to claim it's my own. No, yeah. the, um, but um, yeah, so I actually talk about um, that. That's funny. I was just about to post this on LinkedIn today that there's actually four areas that we need to manage in our lives. The first is energy. And, and what, what busyness does is it takes energy, but it doesn't replenish energy, mm -hmm. right? So it's one commitment after another commitment, after the other commitment. So you get to the end of the day and you experience physical exhaustion, you experience mental exhaustion, emotional exhaustion. Energy management builds rhythms and rituals into your life so that you're continually replenishing the energy uh, in your life. But we don't just need energy management and time management. I think we also need attention management. So we mm. need the ability to, to help our minds focus because one of the negative side effects of busyness is scurry where our minds are constantly going back and forth between different topics rather than being able to concentrate for any period of time. So we need attention management. And then the final is I think we need dream management. And by dream management, what I mean is we need to get in touch with what is the life that I want to live? What are the dreams and the priorities that I want to accomplish? And am I living my life in such a way that's headed in that direction? Because most people, because of the cortisol in their lives, they can't think more than about 10 minutes. So they check mm -hmm. their email and they respond to LinkedIn and they, you know, do all of those things, but they're not actually thinking in, in long-term uh, a mentality of where is it that I want to go? And those four things, those four types of management work really well together. But one of them on their own, time management in particular, is just going to be a colossal failure. It's, it's a waste of time to do on its own. Yeah, and that's what I've seen because um, I've also seen like even your dedication to it too. Like for me, I'll put it on there, but then something pops up and priorities. It's yeah, <laughs> like I talked before this. I had to go take care of a chicken. Like it made me a little bit late for this. Like it was, I had to deal with that, you know? Right. Um, but it's also knowing that you, I know that you will give grace for that. Yeah, what absolutely. About, well, I have a, I have a commitment to myself later this morning. And as I woke up this morning, I was like, I'm not prepared for this. And so uh, it's, you know, it's a video recording that I was going to do. So it's either, will I go in and I force myself to do this or because I'm unbusy, have enough margin in my life 
or I can go, okay, if I move this to another time, then that gives me the ability to prepare for it and do it with excellence as opposed to doing a, a half-baked job. Oh, I mean, okay, so that makes me think about, this is my new thing about being prepared for the day. Uh, my daughter just said, she goes, nothing's going to mess up this routine because I'm prepared for the day. And I'm like, yes, awesome. baby, yes. Um, but that's the thing that we're really focusing at in the family too, is like for me every morning. And I've found if I don't do this, it, I, it's, it is one of my things that will um, really, and it's weird because it will make or break. It's not weird. Physiology. I know why. Right. And psychology. Why? But I have to set my, I have to say my gratitude. I have to set my intentions. How do I want to feel for the day? How do I want to be focused as one for today? Um, my task at hand, what do I need to get accomplished today? Podcast or it. Um, and then my final is I'm a person of faith. So I ask God for the help because I know that right. I can't do it on my own. Um, right. So it takes that burden off of me and helps get what I say is additional energy for the pressures that come at life. So yeah. for you, what are some of the things that you found or people are hearing this? It's like, how can people prepare to like get unbusy, but prepare for their day? Cause it's, yeah. I'd rather be preventative than yeah. the back end of it. Yeah. So, so I think a morning routine is critical. So I talk about this in the develop stage of develop the habit of a morning routine. But I think that a lot of people, um, I love your morning routine. I think a lot of people misunderstand morning routines. Um, I, I, there are a couple of myths around it. One is I think a lot of people think that a morning routine needs to last several hours. Well, it can be five minutes. It can be 10 minutes. Um, second is I think a lot of people think only in terms of uh, a morning routine is there to make me more productive. And, and I'm a firm believer that the way I begin my day is the way that I continue my day. And um, so I think we actually want to start with peace being the foundation of our morning. And then we can move to purposeful and productive type of, uh, of activities. The third thing that I think people get wrong a lot of times is we think that a, a morning routine has to be very regimented. And what I've discovered is for a lot of people, we need to treat our morning routine like a buffet. So I have about 15 items that are in my buffet on the morning routine. But typically in the morning, I only pick three or four of those mm -hmm. buffet items. It always involves water. It always involves coffee, right? Those are, mm -hmm. those are non-negotiables. <laughs> um, it usually involves reading, but not always. It sometimes involves meditation, but not always. It usually involves planning out my day, but I don't do that very religiously on the weekend. Um, and so mm -hmm. it's just, it's really, uh, it, it's really picking from these buffet items and going, what do I have the energy to do today? What will bring me peace today? And then what will help move me into being, uh, having a productive day? Oh, I love every bit of that. Cause that peace, cause the reason I set intentions is because I know that actually starts the physiological responses of what I want to, I want oxytocin. I want trust. I want safety. I want serotonin. I want those to come out of my body. Right. So that's my preset. And that's what I love about what you're doing um, with, with setting with peace because, and that's what I, I find is that it, it literally prepares because when these things come at me, I'm not already overloaded mm. and overwhelmed that I'm shut down from it, I actually can be like, okay, what do I need to do? Task yeah. at hand, how do I fix it? So oh, I absolutely love every bit of that. And I also think it's important what you talked about is the buffet. Um, what 
we talk a lot about is the self-determination theory and that is competency, autonomy and relatedness, but choice, you have to have choice. Yeah. Um, and that's what some people come, what's, what's your morning routine. I'm like, well, it's my morning routine. <laughs> um, right. what, what works for me will not work for you and don't compare because like you said earlier, whenever you walk into the bookstore and you start that comparison curse, um, I think that's so powerful. And I guess that's where I want to lead next is, how can we help people to break the comparison curse um, with yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, that's so. So I would say I, I think a lot of that um, comes down to understanding your priorities. So in, in step three, we talk about design your dreams and your priorities, and 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 I do think we have a tendency of looking at other people's dreams and priorities, and we see them accomplish those. And we automatically assume that we should have that, those same dreams and priorities. Um, and, and, and I can tell you, um, so three years ago, my family was living in Houston, Texas. We loved the people that we were living with, but we didn't like that area. We, it, it was flat. It was a lot of concrete. It was very densely populated. We just didn't love where we were living. And so we made an active choice to do something different than everybody else was doing. We picked where we wanted to live and then designed our life and job around that versus mm. finding a job and designing our life around where they told us we uh, needed to be. And everybody around us thought that we were crazy. They were like, you can't do that. I mean, we're, you know, we started our own company that helped uh, a lot, but they, people were like, you can't do that. That's not how life works. Well, that's because they had looked at everybody else's life and that's what they were told is that this isn't how life works. So I think the key, maybe not the key, but I do think one of the best ways of beating the comparison trap is that we embrace our own dreams and priorities. And I'll tell you, I do think one of the reasons that people are so busy is because we are trying to keep up with the Joneses in mm. the amount of things that we do and in how many uh, activities we're involved with. And so we're in this busyness competition rather than saying, no, this is the life that I want to live and it's the pace that I want to live it at and then designing a life around that. And I think that's powerful, especially with if if anybody listening has kids, because I got hated on for a while because I said my kids only get to do one sport. We've done because, the same thing. Yep. And it's like, I don't have time. And plus now I look at, and this was not the reason why, but I don't want to teach them that they have to be that busy mm -hmm. and that you have You're a to, wise mom, Emily. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> because I just don't want them to have to like the, I just remember going from place to place to place, never getting a, like, I think family dinners are important. I think taking that time to pause and reflect, those are some of the things that have been very important to me. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you oh. for this amazing conversation. So we have a two-part final question. Okay. First part. People are apologizing for starting to kill busyness. What would you tell them? I would say own it and brag about it. So when people, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is when people, uh, you know, when I say, how are you doing? And people respond busy. And then they'll say back to me, they don't know that I, that that's a bad word in my language. And, and then they'll respond, how are you doing? And I'm like, well, I have, I'm actually doing abundantly well. I have plenty of time and energy for the things that are most important in my life. And I don't do that to shame them, but I do that like, 
you're busy. Is that really like that's mm -hmm. that's the life that you want to live? So I would tell them to embrace it and brag about the fact that they are unbusy because that tells you that you've got the margin in your life for the most important people and the most important projects and priorities. Amen to that one. Okay, second part of that, people love what you're saying. I love what you're saying. Um, how can they find you and how can they get your book too? Yeah, so the best thing to do is go to killbusy.com, killbusy.com. Um, you'll find out tons about the book and the insights, but here's the best part of it. If, uh, if you go to killbusy.com, you want to get a copy of it, I will give you a copy of it for free if you'll pay for the shipping and the handling. So I'll send you the copy uh, of the book. And the reason I do that is because I want to get this message out. I, I am on a mission to make busy a bad word in our society. Uh, and, and so I'll give you the book for free if you'll pay for the shipping and handling. Yeah, I love it. I'm so grateful for you. Uh, thank you for your what you are doing and continue the amazing work. And I appreciate all that have listened in. Y'all have an amazing and blessed. Thank Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.